Hello, my lovers, my puppies, my kittens, my schmoopies. Hi. Um, I'm guessing you've noticed by now that the frequency at which What the Fockery gets released has slowed down a bit. I have had to scale it back some because I'm still a one-woman show plus an editor who kind of produces sometimes. But it's still on me to find guests, to prepare, to interview, to excavate, to schedule. And, oh, I have my career as a thespian to... um, to do. It's my bread and butter, as they say. Um, I recently did a podcast. Uh, I was a guest. I was on the other side of the mic, and that was fun. It was odd. It's called Make That Paper, and it's a great podcast. Um, it's about how actors who are working actors, not necessarily famous or well-known or household name. Uh, And it's about how they survive, what their side gigs were or are before they got their break. So you might want to check that out. I will let you know when a future episode, when I'm due, I believe it'll be at the end of the month or early March. I don't know. Have you heard of Clubhouse, by the way? I'm sure you've heard because Elon Musk went on there and suddenly it's blowing up. Uh, I'm a member. And if any of my guests, my lovely guest, if you leave me a lovely positive review on Apple Podcast and would like an invitation, shoot me an email at whatthefuckery at gmail.com with a screenshot of your review. And I will invite you to join this club although there is a couple of caveat it is still at a beta stage or is it beta do you say beta b-e-t-a however you pronounce that as you know english isn't my first language so i'm allowed to mispronounce things all the time okay that's my uh, disclaimer anyway it's at that stage but as long as you have an apple phone it does not work for androids for now now it's only apple and also apparently you can try to join uh, and there's someone on there who may know you and may go, sure, I'll help them get in. But why do that when your girl, Nadege August over here, would be more than happy to invite you in. And yeah, small price to pay. You have to like give a rating and leave a little, you know, a little review. Uh, it helps. It helps uh, for the discoverability of this podcast. It helps people discover podcast. The more reviews, the better. So we are in February. It's the month of love, but it's also Black History Month. Um, And uh, Valentine's is right around the corner. A lot of people, through because of COVID, obviously, I'm guessing the pressure is slightly off now, right? There is uh, getting all dressed up and nowhere to go. (laughs) That's happening a lot, probably. Although in some parts of the country, they've opened up enough that maybe you can do a date night. Um, But if you're single, does it matter? I don't know. I don't know. But building a successful relationship takes dedication. We know that much, I think. It is work. In fact, I sometimes think that it's, I liken it to pushing a boulder uphill. And that's how hard it is, right? What might help or what does help is when you have compatible core values, because that 
those values seem to provide like a basis, a strength and camaraderie. You know, there are some things that are that don't need to be explained that are left unspoken because, well, you both just kind of get it, right? And yet, it doesn't necessarily mean that if your values are different, you can't make it work. In which case, the more equipped you are with information on how you relate in a relationship, I think gives you the language to communicate. Attachment is an emotional relationship that revolves on exchange of comfort, care, and pleasure between human beings. And psychologists have been able to uncover and classify ways in which we bond from being from children until as adults, how we attach. What the fuckery is attachment styles? Well, we're about to find out. I'm Nadege August. I'm still your host. <laughs> if this is your first time, welcome, welcome, and bienvenido, bienvenue. Um, what the Fockery is a series of conversations dedicated to hearing firsthand from the very people whose lifestyles, truths, concepts we struggle with understanding, the very things we should know about but are afraid to discuss. Our subjects and topics may or may not be mainstream, but our guests and sometimes experts are in it, living their truth whether we accept them or not. And if in that process we manage to bring clarity to you, dear listener, then thank you, my schmoopy, for being curious, open, and willing. In that vein today, my guest is a repeat guest because sometimes my guests are, well, not sometimes, they are. <laughs> three-dimensional humans. Uh, what they do for a living doesn't necessarily define them solely. Um, so my guest today is a repeat guest, as I stated. She and her husband, Abe, were in the previous episode on commuter marriage. After we hung up, Elaine and I got to talking a little bit about relationships, and I thought attachment styles would be a wonderful topic to share with you guys because um, I'd not heard of it, and I am just curious AF, okay? That's me. Uh, not nosy. I just like to know. If I hear something, I just want to know what it is and not stop a conversation and go, wait, what's that? Uh, and hopefully that's doing the same for you. Uh, I would say grab your pens and papers, make a mental note, or because Elaine is giving us lots of info that can help us. Elaine Romero is our guest. Uh, she is a licensed psychotherapist, LMFT, right? And she's the owner and clinical director of Safe Harbor Counseling Center in beautiful Temecula, California wine country. It is gorgeous there. She has practiced for over 25 years and is dedicated to equipping families to build healthy homes and leave lasting legacies. Isn't that what we all want? 
but it starts with you, the individual. So let's listen and learn because I know I've learned a few things about myself. Elaine, you're back. I am. I'm so excited. Thank that, you for having me. Of course. That makes you an automatic schmoopy, as I like to call oh, people. Oh, fancy. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so, I mean, this I is so put that great. on my resume. You, oh, yeah. Schmoopy. Um, so, as a therapist, license, LMFT, right? Marriage. Correct. Mm-hmm. Counselor. License. Mm-hmm. Right. Apparently, attachment styles is something you, it's a tool you use yes. uh, with your, with your, do you say clients or patients? We say clients. We clients. say clients. Because mm-hmm. patients sound like they need something. More medical. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. So what the fuckery is or are attachment styles in a nutshell? Right. Well, attachment styles, what's great about it is it's this lens, okay? It's this lens that allows you to kind of have a better understanding of yourself and a better understanding of those people you're in relationships with. So essentially, um, we are all hardwired for closeness and intimacy with others. Um, And so your attachment style kind of is data on how comfortable you are with that, whether you can feel secure in that. Um, So there's kind of, there's three main ones and there's a fourth one that's kind of not as, not as many people have that attachment style. So there's secure attachment, there's um, anxious attachment, there's avoidant attachment, and then there's one that's the mix of the uh, avoidant and anxious, but it's a very small percentage of people that have that attachment style. That's the kind of attachment style I'd like. But <laughs> you want to be unique? Actually, I, I don't think you would want that. It's, it would be challenging to have I'm that attachment I'm complicated. Style. I want to be. So... Um, would you break down for us what the definitions, like what makes someone an anxious person sure. and avoidant and secure? Yeah. Now, first, you have to remember, none of these styles are considered like pathological. None of them are necessarily a problem. Okay. It's just based on your attachment style, which is like how comfortable you are with intimacy and closeness is really developed by a number of things. It might be your childhood experience with your own caregivers and attachment figures, okay? But it also might be life experiences you've been through. It also could be related to emotional injuries that you have accrued through past relationships. So it's how you how comfortable you feel with this closeness or intimacy. So I just want to make sure I preface it with that, that there's not like one that's better than the other. There are definitely, there's definitely one that's a lot easier to cope with than the others. (laughs) Elaine, where do we learn how to love? Mm, Well, that goes back and that's where we have a little bit of the history and this of the studies of attachment. So it starts literally at birth. So when you are born, that attachment that you have with your, say, your parent or your caregiver, again, they found in early studies, these are studies, maybe if you took like a child development class, you might have remembered the name Bowlby, and he did studies in the 50s and 60s about if children had a secure attachment, that if their caregiver 
when their anxiety would rise, say the baby is hungry and they cry and that caregiver comes in and meets that need, they feel secure, right? And then they're able to self-soothe. So children, they found through studies that children that actually have this secure, confident attachment, they overall tend to do better in life, that they're more secure in life. And they have a, they actually develop physically better and emotionally better. Now what's interesting is newer studies today, actually it's kind of started in the late 80s and 90s, they have found that adults also thrive and do better in life when we tend to have a secure attachment that even our attachments with romantic partners kind of mirrors that childhood attachment that we have. Can one say that based on how you were taught how to love or how your needs were met, you automatically gravitate towards partners who provide you with that? I don't know if that makes sense. So for instance, if you grew up in an anxious environment and your needs weren't met, do you tend to go through life uh, being with partners who actually don't meet your needs, who cause a lot of anxiety? Possibly. It's, it's more, what it's more indicative of, of is how comfortable you are. So there's kind of two measures when it comes to attachment. It's whether you have comfort with um, closeness and intimacy versus how anxious that makes you. So yes, a person who has had an attachment that was anxious as a child might continue to be anxious in their relationships as an adult. But it, so if they match up, it kind of depends on who they match up with. So like an anxious person, if they match up with someone who's avoidant and is uncomfortable with intimacy and keeps them at an arm's length, that's going to be a difficult relationship. But we actually find if an anxious person is able to connect with someone who has a more secure attachment, that actually can thrive as well. Because that Interestingly enough, a person with a secure attachment can kind of be a buffer. They give a buffering effect in relationships. And maybe that's where I should jump into the different styles. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Kind of okay. So if we look at someone with a secure attachment, that's about 50% of the population. So half of us have a secure attachment. Those are people who are comfortable with connection and intimacy. It feels comfortable to them. They're kind of warm to that. They're warm and loving. They can communicate their needs easily and they can fill other people's needs pretty easily. And it doesn't make them anxious and they're not really preoccupied or anxious about relationships. They actually kind of rest in relationships and they thrive in relationships. So those are people with a secure attachment. So they're low on anxiety and they're low on avoidance. Like they don't want to avoid connection or intimacy. Um, Then we have the anxious attachment. That's about 20% of our population. So people who are anxious tend to be higher on anxiety and um, but they're low on avoidance. So they want to get close. They want to have great intimacy. Um, In fact, they want it deeply. But even if they receive it and get it, they can feel really kind of anxious about that relationship, kind of 
and consistent concern of are they going to leave me or do they love me enough or, um, you know, are things going okay? You know what I mean? They have a lot more anxiety about the relationship. A huge preoccupation with the relationship. In other words, you know, when I, 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 I mean, this may seem cruel, but when people, I see people like that, I tend to say, well, get a life, get a hobby. Like I, I yeah. tend to believe if you have a lot going on in your own life, a relationship is merely just a sliver, you know? And then there are people who tend to make it their entire life. They give up themselves. They love everything the person loves. Suddenly it's like, who are you versus right. I'm doing this because right. of this person. Right. So it may seem to someone who has an, a secure attachment that someone with an anxious attachment, they seem needy or preoccupied. And, and at some level they are, but that's not really like their fault. You know, I mean, it's mm-hmm. related to a need that they have that may go way back, you know, maybe related to some trauma or maybe some abandonment and whatnot. And they can actually thrive if they're aware of that. And they and their partners aware of that, and they work together with it. And we'll we'll get to that. Absolutely. Now, the third style is the avoidant attachment. That's about twenty five percent of our population. Now, an avoidant attachment, they also want closeness and intimacy. They, we we really all do, right? But as they get into the relationship, they start to feel uncomfortable, right? It starts to impede on their sense of um, independence, independence, right? That that's something that for some reason for them is highly important. Again, that may be related to a message they got in their family of origin. It might also be related to their own emotional injuries, you know, that someone abandoned them or somebody uh, abused them or, or something like that. So somebody with an avoidant attachment they are low on anxiety. They don't worry too much about the relationship. And, you know, like they're not like preoccupied with it. Um, they like their independence and whatnot, but they're high on avoidance. You get too close to them and now they start, to, they want the intimacy, they want the closeness, but gosh, it makes them feel uncomfortable. Um, and then you have people who have the mix, the anxious and the avoidant, and you can imagine how that's kind of a roller coaster. It's only about three to 5% of the population. So that's a much more rare, but they have that combination of anxiousness and attachment and, and avoidance. How does knowing your particular one's attachment style serve you in life and in your relationships? Well, it's going to be depend on where you're at. So if you're in a relationship or you're married, so to speak, you know, like you, you know, that's going to help understand like why maybe you behave the way you do or what you maybe have as needs. Um, but then if you're dating, the way it's going to really help is it's, you're going to have a better idea of what you were looking for and you'll know when you need to move on when there's kind of some red flags. Um, because there's some super interesting things when it comes to people who are single and dating. One of the things that I found so interesting is that guess who is the highest percentage in the, in the dating pool, like on the, like on Tinder and, you know, on, on the dating sites and things like that. Guess which style? Oh my, the secure. No, they're the least. (laughs) They're the least because they probably right. are securely in a relationship. Or not, but just secure enough that they don't 
really exactly. need one. So the right. anxious, the avoidance, the avoiders. It's the avoiders. Oh, that makes sense because they can are... hop from bed to bed to bed. Right. Profile to profile, I should say. Right. So they, they tend to stay, they, don't, they tend not to stay in relationships as long. Plus, if it gets too close, they get uncomfortable. These are the people ghosting you. Mm. Right? Avoidance are ghosters. Right. They're ghosters. And so, again, we don't want to shame them. It's not that they're bad people. They want closeness and intimacy too, but they get uncomfortable. And so, um, when you going back to what you said of how can this help you, it, awareness and understanding is key. Right. So I always kind of say, if you're dating, keep your eyes wide open. You probably want to seek out someone who's secure. Right. Um, but if you, but if you, and, and also really look for people that are having kind of avoidance, um, you know, if they're doing things to keep you at an arm's length, like look for that quickly. Um, now here's a super interesting fact. When you, look, you, when you look at what would be kind of the best relationship, I mean, if you think about it, obviously a secure attachment style and a secure attachment style, if they're together and dating or married or whatever, they're going to have a lot of relational satisfaction, correct? I mean, that makes sense. But they found that if you match somebody with an anxious style, with a secure person or match somebody who has an avoidance style with a secure person, those mixes can also be, have high levels of satisfaction because the person with the secure attachment kind of provides a buffering effect. Right. That, that they can, you know, so if I'm in a relationship with somebody and they're really anxious, I can secure them and say, we're good. We're okay. I'm attuned to you. Right. So a person who has a secure attachment can really be attuned to the needs of the other person. And if I'm in a relationship with somebody who is avoidant, I also can say, hey, they need their space. They need their time. It doesn't mean they don't love me. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of exciting to know. Right. You know. And that gives new meaning to the you complete me famous line <laughs> right. and also better half. Um, so we did something a little fun. Is now a good time to talk about it? Sure. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Well, you sent me a link to a quiz to help me uncover my attachment styles. Um, I don't know if that's something to be proud of, but I am single <laughs> and I'm not on any websites or Tinders or any kind of, let's just say I'm not actively looking. I seldom do. I just sort of, you know, just let it hit me in the head. <laughs> and, stumble well, that, on and, it. That, and that's indicative of someone who has, you know, a secure attachment, right? Yeah. yeah. And you've guessed it. That is the result of my test. Wouldn't you know? And I took the test, I kid you not, three times because I so wanted to have an issue. Is that, is, 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 am I a little screwy that way? No, I think that makes sense because like then it can maybe have some explanations of why maybe, you know, there's been emotional injuries in the past or frustrations in the past. But if you think about it, it's not just one, it takes two to tango, right? You might've been secure in a relationship with somebody, but maybe you were matched up with someone who was an avoidance uh, or avoidance. Yeah. Yeah, because you, you gave me a great caveat. You said whether you're single or in a relationship, if you are currently single, think back at your, your latest relationship. And looking at this quiz three times, it, it occurred to me that, that my previous, my most recent ex was an avoidant person. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that's helpful for me. Uh, the question is though, and a lot with, of secure people will move on from those. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because they realize, Hey, you know, I don't, I need, I actually need closeness and intimacy and I'm comfortable with that. Yeah. And, and I, all, and also I respect the boundary. If someone says, I, I, I don't want this anymore. I'm like, okay, bye. So if right. this was a way for them to, you know, like the game playing, I just think, you know, we're adults. I don't have time for that. If you don't want to stick around, I'm not going to beg you to stick around if you don't yeah. want to. Right. So, um, now this is a going out in a limb here. Our avoidance types tend to be, do they tend to be the narcissists? Is there any study about well, that? Well, I definitely am sure there's studies related to that. And I'm sure that can be the case because, you know, we do know sometimes narcissists also, well, if you think about really, to be honest with you, a narcissist, we think, you know, maybe they just have all this like awesome self-esteem, but it's actually the opposite. They've at some level somewhere have been hurt or injured in a way that they feel the need to have a sense of control. Right. And so it makes sense even too that a narcissist might line up with someone who's an avoidant. I mean, you, you could also have a narcissist who's anxious or a narcissist who's secure. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I could definitely see, I don't know of any studies on the top of my head, but you definitely could see that for sure. Because some of those avoidant behaviors definitely feel similar to a narcissist. Cause a lot of times avoidance will, here's some of your smoking gun guns. Mm-hmm. Here's how, you know, if you're out in the dating world and you're starting to date somebody who's possibly an avoidant, they're going to do things like, um, send mixed signals. Okay. Or they disregard your emotional well-being, or they suggest you're too needy or you're too sensitive or you're overreacting. Right. Or they pull away or they kind of ignore things that you say, you know, because they don't want to have to like cope with it. So those are some of your smoking guns. And that potentially could be someone who's narcissistic as well. Hey, listeners. The term self-care is thrown around a lot these days, and deservedly so. And I think we can all agree that mental health is part of self-care. And one of the many reasons we tell ourselves is lack of time and money. Well, BetterHelp.com is the world's largest counseling service. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. Now, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed, accredited, and board-certified therapist in under 24 hours. Therapy from the comfort of your own space. What could be better than that? You can schedule weekly video sessions or phone sessions with your own personal counselor. You can log into your account at any time from anywhere to send a message to your counselor. And BetterHelp makes it easy and free to change your counselor if you ever needed to. Um, it's very affordable. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. So get started today and you as a What the Fockery listener get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash fockery 10. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash fockery 10. In fact, use fockery 10 as a promo code and discount code anytime and anywhere you um, use our sponsors. Okay, back to our program. Can one change their attachment styles or 
Great question. That? So what the research actually has said is that typically there's not huge, big changes, but we can all have leanings and characteristics, okay? So things can happen in your life that do impact that. So let me give you an example, even of just myself. I'm going to be a little vulnerable here. I grew up very secure, attached with parents, always very secure in relationships and, and, and whatnot. My, la my first marriage, there was pretty bad betrayal. And it was like a bomb that went off overnight. I had no idea. And so as a result, I'm in a marriage now where I, we both rate as secure, both my husband and I Abe, rate as secure. However, I definitely have some tendencies on that anxious side when I'm triggered with things that could be re related to fearing infidelity or fearing that I might get cheated on again. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'll go into all the kind of um, people with anxious um, attachment will do a lot of what's called activating strategies, trying to re-get the closeness back, right? Um, and so I will definitely seek out assurance from my husband and need a certain amount of security. And if he doesn't, if he isn't in tune to that and doesn't give it to me, a lot of times I'll do what's called protesting behaviors. Like I might ignore him or play little games with him or something like that. Those are common for a person who has anxious side. Luckily, my, my husband's actually pretty attuned to it. We dialogue a lot about it and he's able to know when I need that security. Um, so yeah, we can have some changes, meaning, for example, in my marriage, like he does so well at securing me that I'm actually feeling, I can feel it actually, the dash where I'm mm. getting back more and more to that secure self, which I pretty much am at my core. Um, you also can take someone who's avoidant if they're aware of it. A lot of times avoidance, sometimes what happens to an avoidant is they'll hit rock bottom where they just go from relationship to relationship to relationship. And then they just go to sheer loneliness mm. and they have to really, and hopefully through the help of like someone in their life, who's honest with them or, um, you know, maybe their own work in therapy or something like that. They realize that they're doing this to themselves. And, mm -hmm, they're self-sabotaging themselves. And so as a result, if they can be in a relationship with somebody a little bit more secure, that can be, give them that chance to have some independence and you know, that they honor that in, in their, in their avoidant partner that can be worked with as well. So in your work as a counselor, when do you decide to work with attachment styles or? Well, you don't see this come up as an issue a lot if you're working with people who are both in secure attachments, right? But I'm going to see it, and even if one person's secure, but you're, when you really see it is when you get the avoidant and the anxious attachment matched up. That's a very difficult, you know, that's a difficult partnership. And it's not to say it can't work, so I don't want your listeners not to feel hope if they assess that they're in that. Um, but if you're dating and you have know you're an anxious style or you know you're avoidant style, probably not the best relationship for you. And you might want to assess that and decide whether or not you're ready to invest in that. But if you do have a relationship where you're the anxious style and your partner is the avoidant style, it's going to take a lot of, um, you know, careful dialogue, communication, and care for one another. And to and be able to... 
the willingness to work, right? Right. The willingness to not shame, the avoidant can't, it needs to not shame the anxious person for being too needy, but know that they have those needs and try to help secure them. But the anxious person will have to look at that avoidant partner and give them some freedom and give them an opportunity when they feel kind of suffocated or need some space to be able to give that to them as well. So that would probably be the most difficult. In fact, in a lot of the books on attachment, there's some great books and I'm sure we'll put some in the links for people. Um, there's, you know, even like I was just rereading on a book called Attached, which is really good. And they have a whole couple, several chapters just on that type of relationship of what couples can do to work with that. Mm-hmm. So there always is hope, you know what I mean? Right, right. Um, are there any, there's no such thing as a bad combination is what I'm, I'm hearing. Um, but should, should one avoid? I don't know if we, uh, what I would even recommend is not calling it bad. Again, you don't want to, we don't shame. There's no one style that's pathological per se, because it's it, again, it's data. It's data based on like maybe my childhood or based on what I've been through in my life. I might have certain needs around the issue of intimacy and closeness, but let's change it. Instead of saying a bad style or bad partnership, I would say a more challenging, Mm. right? Definitely. If you get that anxious attack and the avoidant together, that's going to be a more challenging situation. So in answer to your past question about in my office, yeah, I'm going to see more couples coming in with that. And that's where I tend to bring up this topic more and see if they're willing to work with it. Because with understanding, with awareness, again, it can open our eyes. People can rest a little bit. Um, Even when I started to learn more about this, it made me realize when I kind of did lean toward my more anxious stuff and the little things that I did to try to get reestablished closeness with my husband, it, it just made me feel affirmed or you know, I, I didn't feel like I was going crazy. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was like I was able to have some um, understanding or forgiveness or permission to myself to be able to say, hey, there's going to be times where sometimes based on what I've been through or you know, my f- family life or whatever, I'm going to have a different need for security or um, closeness. You know, it- Uh, Elaine, it seems to me that uh, you are at this wonderful advantage as well. Most people um, lack the emotional intelligence to Mm. even understand why they do what they do. Self-awareness is such a huge, huge advantage in life. And I am from the belief where I I honestly feel like every, just like you have an annual checkup, physical exam, everyone should have some kind of counseling, therapy, just anything that helps you understand who you are so you can make life slightly easier if possible where you can. What are your thoughts on that? Right. Yeah. I mean, what, what, what Nadej is talking about emotional intelligence or your EQ, it's very similar. I mean, we all have an IQ, which says like how much intelligence we have, but we can also have a a rating of our emotional intelligence. And basically that's four components. It's that I can identify my emotions and then I know how to regulate or manage my emotions. And then I can identify emotions in other people 
and then I can manage my relationships, right? Mm -hmm. So some people do have very high levels of uh, an EQ based on probably what they were taught growing up, right? Or they're Um, empathetic. Exactly. And then some people um, struggle with it a little bit more. But here's the beauty of anyone's emotional intelligence is you, your brain has plasticity. So it can move and grow and change. Just like I can pick up a 10 pound weight and build my biceps, I can build my emotional intelligence. And you, you can pick up fantastic books out there on emotional intelligence that really improve with that. But even just talking about relationships or going to therapy or reading books and things like that helps as well. But this lens, I'm telling you, I think everybody should pick up a book on attachment. Again, we'll have some links of some good ones. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a basic understanding of your attachment style, that gives you a basic understanding of your needs in a romantic relationship. Right. And, and even for your partners as well, if you are partnered up, right? And right. you can perhaps, if you're willing, shift yours a little bit to adapt, right? And, and right. meet, their, meet right. them where they're at. Um, and finally, as future parents or as a parent, are, can parents teach, raise their children in such a way where they make sure that they are secure <laughs> with their attachments and how they go about that? Absolutely. So this is another lens for parenting because the better, so the, the, the most formative years are between zero and three or like zero and five. So the more that you can hear and listen to your child's needs and meet their needs, they grow up with a secure attachment and it ends up helping them in their whole life. Um, And so it is, it's super important to just love on those kids, be there for them, raise kids with um, talking about emotions and being available to them and securing them and teaching them how to cope with emotions all of that is going to for sure impact someone's, um, you know, attachment style. You know, Elaine, I bet you are a, pardon my French, a kick-ass counselor. <laughs> oh, well, I hope so. I don't know. I try. Yeah. Um, do you work through your, your, your safe harbor, right? I think. Yes, my practice is in Temecula, California, and it's called Safe Harbor Counseling Center, Right now with the pandemic, though, we're online for anyone in California. We are licensed in California, so we need to limit it to a California clients. There, there's laws. They're trying to make that so we can cross boundaries. Um, but anyone in California can give us a call, and we can provide online counseling as well. Mm-hmm. Now, do you work uh, with just with couples or with people like who are single, or does it so, matter? I have a practice of four therapists and we work with the whole kit and caboodle. We work with, um, you know, individuals, couples, children. We have a whole office set up for play therapy. So we do work with little children as well too. So yeah, it's exciting. Between the four of us, we cover, we cover the gambit. (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. Well, what can I say, Elaine? Is there anything else we need to add? I, I feel I feel secure in my attachment. Secure and leaving it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would lo- one thing I'd love. There's two things. There's two people I want to just mention. There's Sue Johnson, who's the founder of Emotional Focus Therapy. She says she. One of the things that she says is that people think. Oftentimes, people think if I'm completely self-sufficient, I don't need anyone in my life that those are the people that are really strong. And she says, you know what though? 
Those aren't the people that are really strong. It's the people that are willing to take risks with love that even though it's hard and even though it's difficult and even though it takes a lot of patience and a lot of self-sacrifice, those are the, actually the true warriors and the strong people and it's mm-hmm. worth it. Um, and then the other person I would like to just also quote is an old psychologist. He wrote a ton of books. He actually passed away. Gary Smalley, he wrote the book. He, he, he said, make your marriage, and it could be relationships too, the safest place on earth. Hmm. And to me, that goes right with attachment. Almost every issue that I work with couples in marriage counseling, it comes back to safety. It really does, doesn't it? It comes back to security. You know, I almost want to say, replace the word safety with uh, sacred. Ooh, I like that. You know, I just feel that if there is a spiritual connection, the word sacred really, really feels right. Yes. Because it, the sanctity, the, that word alone, what it means, it's it's a commitment. Absolutely, it is. Yeah, it really is. Elaine, you were wonderful. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for being interested in this because I'm telling you, if your listeners open their hearts to this and, and even just look at some of the basic parts of this research, it can really change things for them in a lot of ways. Absolutely. And I want, even though I said I said it in the beginning, I want to remind everyone that Elaine and Abe were my guests from the episode prior, Love is in the Air. So you can keep up with, with her and her husband, Abe, uh, on Love is in the Air. Yes, that's our podcast. And we're actually going to do... Because attachment issues actually become very different in long-distance relationships. It it's, makes it even different. It kind of highlights it. So we're going to do a whole episode on attachment with long-distance relationships and commuter marriages as well. Oh, and that's fantastic. Okay. And, oh, um, I, I, listeners, if you want that quiz, please email us. Email me, whatthefockery at gmail.com, and happy to send it to you. I will not post it as a link because I just want to make sure that there are no, you know, issues with wherever that right. is. We know. We have to cover ourselves. Um, and it's all well-meaning. Elaine, thank you. Thank you for having me. This was great. It really was. Yeah. All right. I'll see you soon. Okay. Take care. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Maybe not. Why don't you hop on over to our Instagram page right now, my listeners, my lovers, my puppies, my kittens, my schmoopies, and follow and see what our guests look like and all the fuckeries we get into over on Insta. Also, we now have a Facebook page and everything is What the Fockery. So What the Fockery Twitter, What the Fockery Instagram, What the Fockery Facebook. You can't go wrong. You can even What the Fockery at gmail.com. Okay, now officially, bye.